Welcome to Daily Drive for Wednesday, October 12th, 2022. I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News. And I'm Kellen Walker. Today on the show, Hyundai Motor Group will spend almost $13 billion on software-defined vehicles. Tesla crushes the luxury competition. And U.S. worker classification plans cause Uber and Lyft shares to fall. Plus, a conversation with Robin Chase, the co-founder of Zipcar, about the future of mobility. The future will be a multimodal one in which personal car ownership plays an increasingly smaller role in our movement. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. Hyundai Motor Group says it will plow $12.6 billion into developing software in a move to speed, product development, and boost revenue. That includes a new operating system for over-the-air updates in all Hyundai, Kia, and Genesis vehicles by 2025. The sweeping initiative will usher in a wave of so-called software-defined vehicles. The automaker says they'll be armed with technology that performs at blazing speeds and bolsters each car's resale value. Hyundai plans to establish a global software center, introduce a level three autonomous driving system, and launch two new electric vehicle platforms later this decade. Meanwhile, one of Hyundai and Kia's suppliers here in the U.S. is being fined for child labor violations. The Department of Labor said on Tuesday that authorities found children as young as 13 working at SL Alabama. The Labor Department has fined the company around $30,000. Regulators did not accuse Hyundai or Kia of wrongdoing. Tesla has entered the final quarter of the year with a mile-long lead in U.S. luxury sales, leaving former premium segment champions BMW and Mercedes-Benz battling over second place. While Tesla does not break out sales by market, the Automotive News Research and Data Center estimates Tesla delivered 114,000 cars and crossovers in the third quarter, up 47% from a year earlier. So far this year, the EV maker has sold almost 343,000 electric vehicles, giving it a 112,000 vehicle sales lead over number two BMW. Overall, premium brand sales tallied just under 540,000 cars and light trucks in the third quarter. That's up more than 7%, outpacing the industry overall. General Motors says it will invest up to $69 million and take an equity stake in an Australian mining company. Queensland Pacific Metals will help GM secure nickel and cobalt for battery cells for use in the U.S. automaker's vehicles. The automaker says the investment will help support EV eligibility for consumer incentives under new clean energy U.S. tax credits. GM said the nickel laterite ore is expected to be processed using a new proprietary system that helps reduce waste. Uber and Lyft shares tumbled yesterday since the Biden administration issued a proposal that would change the way it approaches workers' employment status. It's a move that could upend the ride-hailing company's business models since they rely on millions of gig workers. The U.S. Labor Department proposal would make it easier for restaurant workers, delivery couriers, ride-hailing drivers, and other gig workers to be classified as employees rather than independent contractors. That would require companies to provide benefits and protections to them as employees, which could include minimum wage, 
paid overtime, and contributions to unemployment insurance. Uber and Lyft shares yesterday fell 7% and 7.5% respectively. And those are today's headlines. Jamie, what's the deal with software-defined vehicles? Is this automakers finally taking the step forward to better in-house technology? Yeah, that's the idea. I mean, it's not without some risks. You know, Volkswagen and Toyota are both working on this kind of system. And the slow development of the new operating system was part of what led Herbert Diess to be forced out as CEO of Volkswagen. But the automakers in general, they believe that having their own operating system, they can really integrate everything, have better cybersecurity, and of course, more and faster over-the-air updates. That's interesting. Well, coming up, we'll hear from Zipcar co-founder Robin Chase about the state of mobility in 2022 and where she sees the future of transportation heading. That's next on Daily Drive. Hi, I'm Michael Dunn, son of legendary car spy Jim Dunn, and I'm also the host of the Driving with Dunn podcast. Over the last 26 years, I've founded two companies, became president of GM Indonesia, and I was featured on 60 Minutes. Today, I run Zozo Go, a global market intelligence company with deep expertise in electrics and autonomous cars. Driving with Dunn is going on 80 episodes. Our guests include Henrik Fisker. We're going to modernize the Pope Mobile. Linda Zhang, chief engineer of the F-150 Lightning, and many more. You can listen at ZozoGo.com or wherever you get your podcast. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Kellen Walker. Zipcar was a mobility company before most people knew what that term meant. The company popularized the idea of cars on demand and tried to challenge Americans' dependence on automobile ownership. Now part of Avis, Zipcar is one of the largest car sharing networks in the world. Robin Chase is a serial entrepreneur and one of the co-founders of Zipcar. She left the company in 2003. Chase spoke with our own Pete Bigelow on Shift, a podcast about mobility. They talk about the state of the mobility industry in 2022 and where she thinks transportation is headed in the future. Here's a piece of their conversation. What was it that you saw at a time when mobility was not a buzzword and the mobility industry did not exist? I think I saw a problem and a need that I personally had. And I saw that technology was at a place where we could solve it. We could, we could solve my problem. So I do have a co-founder who saw car sharing in a cafe in Berlin. She's German. She was at home on vacation. And she came back to me and said, Robin, what do you think about this? And I just want to put you back to those 23 years ago for this event. The internet was novel. 50% of the people had cell phones. 25% of the people had access to the internet. Like we were talking a really long time ago. And what I saw was this was, you know, using a car by day and by the hour because I didn't want to own one, didn't want to own a second one, really spoke to me personally. And I saw in this flash of insight that wireless technology would make this a trivial thing to unlock a door and enable a payment system. And that the internet is how you share specific resources simply. And so it was really leveraging these technologies that made me think, wow, we could really make this happen in a simple, easy, straightforward way. And it would change the game of car rental and change my ability to interact with it. Like if you have zero transaction costs, I can now rent it for an hour. Otherwise, I'm not going to stand in a line for 15 minutes to do that. You and your co-founder started Zipcar 
at a time when when being a female founder, I can only imagine, meant that you faced even more of an uphill battle than you would today, uh, and you were proposing something that didn't exist in America. So how are you? How are you treated? How are you received at that time? Um, you know, number one, I was very naive, <laughs> so so I would say that I didn't perceive what I think is absolutely true that as a female. CEO, and it's even funny to call yourself a CEO when you've got, you know, one employee yourself or, you know, one or two employees, but absolutely there weren't any women, venture capitalists hardly knew any women that were doing things like this. We were novel in a thousand ways, but because I had never tried to raise money before, because I'd never thought about the venture capital ecosystem, I did appreciate that transportation was a male dominated system. Um, but I went forth blithely and naively, and I think that's why we succeeded, that you know, people who worked in car rental had all these belief systems about what worked and didn't work, and also who would want to break your 24-hour bundle monopoly and say, oh, let's just sell it by the hour. Like, so it was because I lacked insight into that industry, and also, I will tell you, lacked insight into how very far reaching our technology was that I had kind of thought everyone's talking wireless. We'll just do this wirelessly. But in fact, the only wireless things there were were radios and the new cell phones. That was it. So I, I joke that we were, you know, consumer application number three of wireless technology. Um, so I would say it was naiveness that brought us forward. And I mean, to be truthful, it was a fantastically executed and great idea that people wanted. And so therefore, whatever failures people in the auto industry or in the venture capital industry wanted to perceive market demand, I was right about market demand and I was right about the need for this product. And so we overcame those things. When you think about all the success that you had, one of the things that, that I think about is 20 years later, there's this alumni network from Zipcar that has spread throughout the mobility industry. And I'm curious, uh, what's the Zipcar DNA that you think that they've uh, brought with them far and wide? Well, of course, I only know some of them. And I um, I think they all have understood that there's more, this idea of mobility versus transportation, that if we think that all you need is a car and then you're done, we're not thinking about the nuances of where people want to go and where they actually live and how old they are and how much money it costs, or just kind of why are people moving or moving to get things done? So I think people from Zipcar should be much more focused and understanding on being very customer need oriented. And, and I would say they should know all about urban transportation, which um, because of density of population and buildings is poorly served by a car dominant structure. And I think if you live in the suburbs or, or beyond, I think those two groups of people don't talk to each other very well. I think that we see in the industry today, like if you live in the suburbs or farther out, it is honestly unimaginable to you that anyone would not love and enjoy a life where you and think it works 
you drive around in a car. Like they just cannot, they really cannot wrap their brains around it. But if you're a person who lives in the city, you are very aware of the irritations of car ownership and where it just is not the, the choice that you would make if you had options. Um, and I think that's really why I founded Zipcar is I lived in a downtown Cambridge, Massachusetts, and I did not want to have to park on street, alternate side parking, snow shovel for something I wanted to use once a week, twice a month. You know, it's it just didn't make any sense. And I think, yeah, that's the, I think that's kind of the fundamental disconnect um, between these different populations. It just made me think of something very interesting and it, it's very fundamental too. I'm curious, do you think there's a difference between mobility and transportation or are those just interchangeable terms? Isn't it interesting? I remember being um, maybe, I want to say seven years ago, I was invited to a large car manufacturer, small round table of CEOs. And they said, we're not going to be a car company. We're going to be a mobility company. And a whole bunch of them said that, right? A whole bunch of car companies said they want to become mobility companies. And I think their idea was, we're going to become multimodal. We're going to think about um, mobility, I guess, in a, in a broader and a more inclusive, and that word is now loaded in different ways. Um, that why are you going to this place? What are you trying to achieve? Who are you? What's the duration? Just separating out the trips and the purposes of the trips feels to me thinking about it as a word mobility, whereas transportation feels like I necessarily need to go from here to there. And what's the actual machine that's going to take me between the two? So mobility is more inclusive of the whys and transportation is the exact precise how. It's interesting that in recent years, probably since that seven year time frame, you referenced the, I'm thinking most recently of Ford selling off spin. It seems like the automaker experiments with with those other modes has has ended and they've kind of settled on now we're gonna we're gonna just sell cars. You know, um when I was doing Zipcar, my very first days, first months, I, I would see the Godfather movies and I'd be lying in my bed thinking, oh, I see the guys coming in, the car rental companies or the car manufacturers coming with their machine guns to gun me down in my bed because I was taking on their entire industry. So if you think about any company, any status quo company, you have so much built infrastructure, staff, factories, expertise, and an existing huge market. And how you go about building and nurturing a new small thing that doesn't match that old market it's onerous, it's pitiful small amounts of money compared to your giant empire. And incentives just aren't there. Like just stick with what you've got because this other thing is uncertain, there's failure, it doesn't appear to be a very big market. But I think we can know, at least I know, that the future will be a multimodal one in which personal car ownership plays an increasingly smaller role in our movement. But it's a very, you know, as a car company, the thing that you do best is this thing. And it's a huge market. 
So I think it's really, it's a really hard thing to transition. And just if you think of the car rental companies, as I, just as a small piece directly related to Zipcar, why would you want to unbundle your 24-hour bundles? And why would you have to, why are you interested in doing that? Why would you break that model of yours? And so there's really low incentive to do it. And, and yeah, so I think the expertise isn't there. The reasons why people choose these different modes isn't one that they think about. And the auto industry is a really odd one where I feel like the manufacturer doesn't do the selling and also has not any idea about how people actually use their car. Like dealerships are kind of intermediaries. And then, in fact, they don't really know how people actually use them, any of them. I used to think that Zipcar, I knew more how people use their cars than a car manufacturer by far. You know, the times of days, the destinations, the distances, it's kind of a blank slate to, to car companies. Robin Chase is a serial entrepreneur and a co-founder and former CEO of Zipcar. She spoke with our own Pete Bigelow. You can hear their full conversation on Shift, a podcast about mobility, on autonews.com or wherever you get your podcasts. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to Automotive News coordinating producer Jake Neer for his help on today's podcast. You can get the latest news on mobility tech, software-defined vehicles, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. Come back tomorrow for a conversation with Rosa Estrada, corporate controller at high-tech electronics supplier Gentex Corp, who is selected as one of Automotive News 2022 Champions of Diversity. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.